Hello and welcome to the RBC Broadview Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Last week, Dave led us off in a new three-week series that we're doing here at Broadview called People of Faith, which is based in Hebrews 11. In this series, week by week, we're exploring three key elements. There's heaps you could get out of this, but we're going to just grab three key elements of what it is to be people of faith. That to be people of faith is to be people who seek after God. And that's what Dave shared about last week. What I'm going to share about today is to be a people of faith is to be a people who trust in God, who trust God, who are obedient to his will. And to be a people of faith is to be a people, as we're going to share next week, people who live out his kingdom in our lives, live out his will and his way. And as we shared last week, like the people of God, we are, as a community, will continue to face together new opportunities. We'll face together new trials, new disappointments. We'll go through grief, we'll go through celebration, we'll hit the highs and lows of life. And every single one of them, whether they're good or if they're bad, will we'll ask us, where do we place our faith? Do we place our faith in the things of this world? in the material things, in the privileges that we might have, in the power that we might have, in the way this world sees opportunities, in the way this world sees power and privilege? Or do we share in the legacy of those who have come before us, the people of God who have come before us? Are we a people who first seek God, who trust in him, who live for King Jesus and in his ways? Now, when you first hear me ask that question, you're like, of course I don't. But it's only when we get into these moments that we suddenly realize where we've been accidentally placing our faith. Theoretically, of course. But I want you to look. I want you to look as we enter into this season together, as we go through this series, as we head towards Christmas, as we head towards what will be hopefully a better year than the year that we've had this year globally. And to think, where do I actually put my faith? When something is removed from my life, does it rock me or do I stay okay? Do I still have that sense of peace? As we read last week, the beginning of this chapter begins with these words and it's kind of a, it's kind of a definition of what faith is. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And so we're asking ourselves these weeks, what does it look like for us? What does it look like as followers of Jesus, as the people of God here in Broadview, to share in that legacy of faith? You see, this chapter, Hebrews 11, is, is being shared, and you can see its context in the previous chapter. It's being shared to encourage um, the church who has been through some serious trials and persecutions. That in this journey as a people of faith, as we read it, we realize that we are not alone. We stand like they did, like the original audience did to this book of Hebrews. We stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before. 
those he or she, we don't actually know who wrote Hebrews, will call in the next chapter a great cloud of witnesses. And so like them, we too can run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. And so, as I shared last week, David explored what it looked like to be a people who seek after God. That faith in him, knowing that he is real, knowing that he is good, should naturally put us in a posture of seeking after him. That we will want to hear his voice. We will want to be led by him towards the hope that he has for us. And so people of faith are people who seek. We are people of prayer. We are people who desire to listen to his voice. People who desire to converse with the good, faithful God. But often, the most confronting thing about seeking God is that at some point, we have to choose to trust Him. You know, we can seek Him, we can come here, we can sing all these songs, but at some point, we have to choose to trust Him. At some point, we have to base our lives on an assurance, the writer will say, of who he is. An assurance on the hope that he will bring. An assurance in where he will lead. And maybe that's where you find yourself today. Maybe if you're really honest with yourself, you say, look, I kind of get all of this theologically and I kind of get all this theoretically and I kind of get it all, you know, I like being in this community, but really you ask, you're saying to me that to, I actually have to place all my trust, I actually have to place all of who I am in his hands. Do I really have to do that? Do you trust him? Do you trust him with your life? Do you trust him with your loved ones? Do you trust him with your future, your finance? Do you trust him with your security? Do you entrust those, all those things, to him completely? Because to be a follower of Jesus is yes. It's for us as individuals and us as a community to follow him, to trust in the way that he leads, to be obedient to his call in our life as we place one foot in front of the other. This is the difference between belief in God, knowing that he is real, and following him. This is the difference between belief and being a disciple of Jesus. It's placing trust in where he leads. And as we do so, the writer of Hebrews tells us that we stand on the shoulders of those who too have had to place their lives in the hands of God. We're going to read from Hebrews 11. I've actually asked Mark to come and he's going to read it so you can hear it in his beautiful voice this morning rather than mine. And we're going to read, um, we're going to begin in verse 1 and 2. We're going to, as that kind of title, that little placeholder, and then we're going to skip ahead to the next part of Hebrews that we're going to look at this week from verse 8 to 19. Take it away, Mark. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, And Sarah, herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on all the seashore. 
All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things they promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they are longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not... Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did not receive Isaac. He did receive Isaac back from death. Thanks, Mark. Before we continue on, I just I wanted to just rest a little bit in verse 13, where it says, "All these people, all the people that we are talking about today, all the people that we'll be looking at over these three weeks, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them." And welcome them from a distance. These are the people whose shoulders we stand on. They never saw complete the picture of hope that God had placed in their heart. Now, I don't know about how you feel about that, because I think we, we live in a bit of a world which wants immediate gratification. We kind of want to you know, earn something and then receive it. I know with our kids, they kind of they want to, you know. We'll say to them, can you go outside and, and clean up the dog poo? Or can you go and clean up weeds? Or can you, can you do the dishes? And the, what they will want from us, firstly, is, well, how much are you going to give me? What are you going to do? Is this worth... We have this kind of system where we kind of give them half their age. Um, so uh, picking on Isaac, so he's eight, so we give him $4, um, just no matter what. And then from then on, he can get more and more things, depending on you know, what he does, and each of them are worth a dollar, and he'll want to know whether or not this thing that I'm asking him to do is going to get some sort of reward. And I think that's pretty normal for all of us. We can all be a little bit like that. Have you ever felt yourself that you really deserved something? Have you felt that maybe you've paid the price for some sort of immediate reward, that somehow God, or maybe somehow the universe, if you don't believe in God yet, owes you something. But there is something inherent in what it is to be people of faith, the Hebrew writer is saying here. We don't always see the things that are promised. Sometimes we do only see them from a distance. Faith, the writer is saying, isn't about the immediate reward for our good work. Following Jesus, faith in him, isn't about what we think we can gain for ourselves but it's about placing trust in him who leads us. It's about the fact that in him we have already received the biggest gift we can ever have. The Bible calls it treasure in a field, a pearl of greatest price. And so trust in God, firstly, is resting in his character. As Dave shared last week, it is knowing that he is good. I don't know how much if you've read Abraham and Sarah's story in Genesis. 
But it's actually probably the, one of the most confronting stories of trust found in the Bible. It's why it kind of echoes through the ages. It's the beginning of God setting aside his people, beginning um, of him setting aside his people that would then lead to Jesus, which would begin to the salvation of everyone else. If you've read it, you would know that Abraham and Sarah are called to move from their home in a place called Ur, which is now in modern-day Iraq, and move to a new land to become parents of a new nation. They weren't doing this as young people. They were already, he was already 75, and they had no children. They had no offspring to build this nation with. They weren't in the land that they'd been called to, and so they moved their lives and left behind everything they knew. You have to understand that where they were living was probably the peak of civilization at the time. They had all the modern conveniences that they could ever ask for, and they moved from one side to the other. They moved from the the bay of the Persian Gulf to hills overlooking the Mediterranean Sea. It is hundreds of miles that they moved. And their story is deeply complex, beginning at, the, um, at Genesis 12 to Genesis 25. It's a roller coaster of ups and downs. It is a harsh reality that they live in. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever read it, sometimes there are parts of it that are, can be pretty hard for us to comprehend, to relate to as we read their story. But one thing remained for them, and this is what the writer of Hebrews is pointing out to us. One thing remained for them. God's promise that we read in Genesis 15, that they would be parents, their descendants would be without number, and that God had placed them, had given them to this new land. In all the complexity, in all the discomfort, in the loss that they would have felt, the writer of Hebrews makes this clear point about their life from verse 10. It says, for they, for he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful. She considered God faithful who had made the promise. You see, trust always looks forward. Trust is knowing that he... God is working out his plan. Trust is, not, is, is knowing that God isn't asleep on the job, that he is both the architect, he's the designer, he is the builder, he's the one who puts it all together. Now, some of you may know that you know, my, um, I'm currently working bivocationally and my other job is actually working as a building designer, as an architect. And I can tell you right now that some of the most frustrating clients are the ones who come to me, but they already completely set out exactly how it's going to work out. So I can't watch Grand Designs because it happens almost every episode there. The first person that gets fired is the architect, and then the episode just turns into a schmozzle. And it's the same thing every time, and it's too close to life. And I don't actually advertise. God has been amazing. Ever since 2009, when I stepped out on my own, God has provided me consistent clients, and I've never once advertised. 
Well, not really. I've kind of done little things here or there just because it was good. Like my sister put it in a dance magazine and she needed someone to, to put an advert in it, so I made up one and chucked it in there. Um, but I haven't really gone hard on advertising at all because what I've found is that if I advertise, I end up with a bunch of cold calls, people ringing me who have no idea who I am, and I spend a lot of time proving to them that I can be trusted. But when people come to me because they've heard of what I've done, because someone has said to me, look, I used this person and he was really good or we felt really supported or we know him, maybe it's a church connection or something like that, the process has been completely different. As they've placed their trust in me, we've been able to explore different things. I've been able to ask them some questions. I've been able to take things down avenues that they never thought of because they trusted in me. But when they don't know me, when they don't believe in me, it is incredibly hard to get them to let go of some of the things that are holding back what they would like to see. I've heard what they want to do. I know where they want to go, but they won't let go of a couple of things. They won't even explore it because they're too fearful of where it might go. But when someone knows me, when someone has seen my work before, They'll go with me there. Look, we may end up back where they were, but they will explore with me because they trust me. And trust in God is trust in his character. It's it looks forward and it's a trust in his promise. N.T. Wright says, the faith of Abraham celebrated in this passage is faith that the creator God is also the covenant God. He is a God of covenant relationship. He is a God who keeps his promises. He is a God who enters into relationships that have a commitment based to them. Do you trust in his faithfulness? Do you trust in his faithfulness to his promise? His covenant that in King Jesus all things will be renewed, that as we follow him into his death, we follow him even in we follow him into his resurrection even though we won't always see the end result even though we look out into a broken world which is yet to be fully renewed is this an easy thing to do no of course not Are there days where it's incredibly hard? Are there days full of doubt and worry sometimes? Days where we have to choose to trust? Yes. But Jesus says it's in the little steps every day to follow him in his call, to seek the kingdom of God first and its righteousness. And then he says in his promise that all these things, what our real material needs are, what our real spiritual needs are, will be given to you. Little steps like seeking in prayer, learning to live his ways, gathering together with his people like we are today, to worship together, to do life together, to learn about him together, to live outside these walls together, to do justice together. Little steps is what it is to trust in him as as our architect and builder. You know, Abraham and Sarah had to first make that first step. We are moving across. They had to make, you know, we get the end result and we think it's fine, but they had to make the decision every day to pack up their stuff, pull down their tents, and keep moving forward, 
further and further and further away from the land that they knew. Because they knew that his vision was greater and wider than their very own. In fact, Scripture tells us that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor mind conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. It says in 1, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, these things are revealed to us through his spirit. So as we seek him, as we listen to him, his spirit actually speaks to us about the things that we cannot yet see. His spirit too works with power in our lives, as I've often shared from Paul's words in Ephesians 3, to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. By his spirit, he speaks these things into our life and by the power of his spirit, he enables us to trust more deeply and to follow even when we can't comprehend. Have you sensed God's spirit speaking to you this week, this month, this year in the chaos? Has he been speaking to you today? Have you sensed him calling you out, calling you to take a step forward? Maybe calling you from the things that you think you need, things that you don't really want to let go of. Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's your past, maybe it's your present, maybe it's your current workplace, maybe it's an old mindset, maybe it's the way that you like to think about yourself. Is God's spirit calling you out into the things that you can't yet see? Trust, as I said, is resting in God's character, it's trusting in his promise, it's trusting that he is the God of covenant relationship. Trust is therefore looking forward to what is to come, even when we can't comprehend it. And trust is obedience. It's holding to things loosely because he is even able to raise the dead to life. In Hebrews 11 verse 17, the author isn't finished sharing about the incredible faith of Abraham and Sarah. You see, it looks like God begins to fulfill his promise. In Genesis 21, Abraham and Sarah do miraculously fall pregnant and they have a son together. Now, it's an up and down journey to that point where they thought it wasn't really going to happen. So he then gets a handmaiden and that wasn't really what God was doing. And, you know, all, it's, a, it's a messy story. But in all, Sarah falls pregnant. And not only that, they have a son, incredibly important in their day. Someone to carry the family name is born. Isaac. A name meaning laughter. Their absolute joy and amazement at what God could provide. Have you ever seen something or ever had something happen in your life where you just, you just laugh? You just, you just can't believe the ridiculousness of it. The other week, um, we took Micah to Queensland. It was actually last week. Um, we took Micah to Queensland. It was a promise that we had made to him about taking him interstate to kind of celebrate the fact that he was now 10 and have some of those more 10-year-old discussions and just all those kind of things. And it just worked out that because of my throat and all that kind of stuff, it was, I couldn't talk much anyway, that it was going to... Um, that it was just a good time to go. So we went there, and one of the things that we did, we actually went to the world's 
you know, the sea world and movie world and stuff. And I went on this roller coaster called Superman Escape. I don't know if you've been on that one before, but I'd never been to movie world. And I jumped on this ride and it was ridiculous. Um, pretty short, but ridiculous. And I remember getting off, having to physically constrain myself from laughing. The ridiculousness of what I'd just been through, it was just enough to not make me feel ill. That came with the ride I took later. But with this ride, I, like, Rachel and Michael were looking at me and I was beaming and I was laughing. I had to like, because of my voice, I was trying to protect myself. I was like having to constrain this laughter that was bubbling up within me. How ludicrous the experience I just had was. This is what it was for them to have Isaac in their arms. How can this be so? This is ridiculous what God has provided. And if this was a Disney movie, end of the story. Believe in yourself, it's all good, some sort of song that ends up going on the radio, that would be it. They had achieved the beginning of what is to come, but here is where the story gets really confronting. God says this to Abraham in the next chapter, 22 verse 2. It's not the most popular thing you ever want to hear. He says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Wow. Human sacrifice. That's pretty confronting. A sacrifice of everything they had worked for. A sacrifice of what seemed to be the end result of what God was trying to do. The sacrifice of the joy, the laughter of their life. Now we don't read this, but I wonder, did he mention this to Sarah? Did he say, hey darling, or hey babe, or hey whatever he calls her, biscuit. Um, let, just going to Mount Moriah with Isaac, um, make sure you say your goodbyes, because God's asked me to sacrifice him. We don't find that in the story. But nonetheless, he and Isaac and the two servants do head there. With bundles of wood, loops of rope, and a knife for the offering. They were serious. And we know they were serious because it was three days' journey by donkey to get there. And on the third day, Abraham leaves the servants and the donkey behind. And with Isaac, they both carry the wood. The wood that would be for his sacrifice. The story is explicit in its detail. Isaac is clearly a clever boy. He asks his dad, look, we seem to be missing something. We seem to be missing a key component. Where is the animal, the goat for the sacrifice? And Abraham's answer is cryptic, that God will provide. But once they reach the place, he builds the altar, stone by stone. He arranges the wood, takes it from Isaac, arranges the wood, then begins to bound his son and place him on there. Confronting. You can imagine the tears in his eyes. Maybe shaking. You can imagine the size of Isaac's pupils. Obviously, he's big enough to carry wood. Like, this is not a baby. And then we read, Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. 
Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to that day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. In this whole story of Abraham and Sarah, from Genesis 12 to 25, Abraham has always had the same simple response, even in this incredibly confronting moment. Here I am. Here I am, God. He was always open to what God might do next, willing to follow him to what felt like the other side of the world, willing to leave newfound cities, to leave family, we read in part of the story, to exchange their comfort and protection for tents on the land that God had promised. He was willing to try with Sarah to get pregnant, even though decades of pain and grief would have been telling them otherwise. He was willing to take Isaac three days' journey to Mount Moriah to give, to sacrifice the miracle that God had given him, to give that back to God. And it all comes from that same heart attitude. Here I am. Because here I am speaks of what it is to truly trust. Here I am is about holding on to the things of the present, the things of the past, our desires, our ambitions for the future. It's about holding on to all of them lightly. And in his obedience, we see that he'd already shown his heart. Nothing was more important to him than being in God's will. We read that writer of Hebrews says that in that moment, he'd already let go of Isaac. But we know God doesn't want human sacrifice. He desires an obedient heart of faith. Because without faith, as we heard last week, it is impossible to please God. What are you holding on to in your life? What is untouchable? What will you never let die? Maybe like this story, what has God actually provided for you as a bit of a miracle? That if you really think about it, you kind of started to guard it. God gave it, but now you're holding on to it. Jesus says these words in Matthew 10, and they're just as confronting as the story I've just read. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Are you willing to be people of trust who say to God, here I am. Here is all of me. Do you trust in his character? Do you trust in his promise? Do you trust in his vision? Do you look forward to what he is building or are you holding on to the past? Will you simply say to him, here I am. Let's pray. Lord, we stand on shoulders of some pretty confronting stories. 
We live in a world with instant gratification, with so much security and safety. We live in a world where sometimes it feels like we don't need faith. And then there is moments like we've encountered this year, or there is moments that enter into our life where things don't work out the way that we want them to. And all of a sudden we realize, Lord, that our faith isn't in you. It's in these things. Lord, I pray today that if that we realize that that's our story, I pray that we will follow in the footsteps of Abraham and Sarah today and say, Lord, here I am. You've been calling out to us. You're always speaking. You're always working. You're always building. You've been, I know that by your spirit, Lord, that you've been speaking to each one of us, whether we've been listening or not, over these last week, month, year, our entire life. And maybe, Lord, you've been speaking people to people today, right now, as I've shared. Lord, I pray that you would help us to just simply say, Lord, here is all of me. I hold my life loosely. From the youngest to the oldest of us. Whoever we are, whatever we have, Lord, we give to you. I'm going to ask everyone if, while we're praying if we, if we keep our eyes closed that if that's you you want to say to God here I am I just want to ask you if you can to just stretch your hands out in front of yourself with your hands open to make a statement of trust this morning as I read no eye has seen nor ear has heard or mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. It's God's spirit speaking to you, saying, trust me. Follow me. Will you reach out your hands like I am this morning? What's his spirit saying to you today? What's he tugging on your heart about? Is he giving you a vision of what that next step is? Maybe his spirit is just saying, I'm here. I've always been here. I love you. Make your home with me. Lord, help us to be a community who trusts you more. Help us to be a community who is excited about what you are doing. Help us to be a community whose architect and builder isn't anyone in this room. It isn't old mindsets or new modern ways of thinking that the architect and builder of this community, Lord, would be you and you alone. Let us be a community that always says, 
in every moment, when we're as, away as individuals or when we gather together, we say, here I am, Lord, speak, lead, call me. Lord, help us to just trust in you. Help us to take first steps to seek your kingdom first, knowing that all the things that we need will be given to us because you're a good God. We thank you and praise you and give you glory in Jesus' name. As I said, making that choice to continue to say to God, here I am, has its ups and downs. It had its ups and downs for Abraham. It's had its ups and downs for the Apostle Paul. It has ups and downs for everybody. But you are never alone. This is a journey that we do together. In fact, most of the time in the New Testament when we read the word you, it's not talking about an individual you. It's the word use, which isn't a really classy way to say the gathered you. But most of the time it is talking about the people of faith together. If God's been speaking into your life today, if God has maybe challenged you or calling you forward or has put you in a place where maybe you go, wow, I'm, if I take that step, this is going to be pretty scary. I want to encourage you to come and to chat to any of us that you see on the stage this morning. We would love to pray with you, to journey with you. It's exciting when God speaks. You know, Abraham and Sarah took a journey into the unknown, but they were excited about what was to come, even though it meant letting go of everything they had before. So if that's you today, as we finish up after we sing this song, I would love to just chat with you. Any of us would. Because when God speaks, we know it's good. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through the hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.